Welcome to the World of Horror Podcast, Episode 91. I'm Mom. And I'm Mac. This is the podcast where we share our love of international horror. Fear is universal, but we are not afraid of subtitles. Whoa-hoes! This week, Max genre pick is Zombies. We reviewed Train to Busan from Korea and Night of the Living Dead from the U.S. Before we get into it, fair warning, these discussions will include spoilers and language which may not be suitable for all listeners. on to our first segment, Mom and Mac Chat. Hi, Mac. How's it going? Hi, Mom. It's going well, I think. Yeah, it's going well. It was a good Monday today. I felt really anxious because, you know, I'm like, this is like on the 17th, I will be at my, I will have been at my job for two months and I'm starting to feel the feelings of like when it's on when it's over the weekend and you're like I don't want to do this. So I felt that all over the weekend where I was like I don't want Monday to come. But then it did and it was fine. And my boss went over like I'm really I really appreciate having a boss that doesn't want me to run myself into the ground like my past boss. For instance, on Friday, there was like this table I had to run, but we didn't get the data for it until like 5 p.m. on a Friday. And But, you know, I was all set to do it. And she IMs me and she's like, you don't have to stay for this. Just do it on Monday morning. It's fine. And I just my last boss, there were so many times where I was like, hey, this is going to take me until like six or seven to complete. And he'd be like, okay. So yeah, so stay. And for another thing today, at my last job we had unlimited PTO, which is not unlimited. Like, how dare any job say they have unlimited PTO? Because they don't. It's not real. It's way better to have vacation days that like are there for you to take. You know. Yeah. And so my boss was like, "Hey, you've got three days left." Um, they will roll over, but you should just use them now. And she like legit found three days. She was like, yeah, you should do these days. And they were great. It was like the 30th and the 22nd and the 23rd. And like, there's a thing I always have to do on Thursday, but she was like, I'll do it on that Thursday. It's fine. And I was like, okay, great. Awesome. (laughs) And just, I know, like I've never, I legit have never had a boss that's like, you should take time off. (laughs) Never happened. Like my my immediate boss lady Terry is like, well, I was out sick a lot actually this fall because they said if you feel sick at all, like don't come to work because we're not doing any contact tracing. Never have. And oh, great! Um, you know we've got record numbers of like flu and RSV and all the stuff. So, um, <laughs> so. If I felt like a tickle or something in my throat, I'd be like, well, I'm not coming in today. Whereas in the past, like before COVID, I would have probably, mm-hmm. or like if I had a headache, I'd be like, yeah, I have a headache. So like, I'm not coming in. So, um, and there was one message she said to me, she's like, why don't you just stay home until you feel like really well and like ready to come back? And I'm like, 
no problem. Yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I think I was out five days, which to me seems like a lot, but you know. I mean, there are people who get into car accidents and have to take like a month off. Well, God, that's true. I mean, long, but all that to say, like, I feel like truly our mind and our bodies are obviously like connected and sometimes you could be it is a genuine sickness sometimes and other times i feel like you truly need like a mental health day so your body's like let me help you um yeah. by making you feel sick so that you feel like you can take the time off you know um and that's not to say you're not sick you are cuz you need to take a day off um so there's also like a i think it's an employment lawyer or somebody on tiktok or you know so I saw her somewhere and she goes, let me just tell you guys, your employer does not care about you. Like you might think that you're like irreplaceable and like super necessary to the company. And she's like, you're not. And, you know, you're thinking way, you know, you're giving them way too much. But basically when she put that thought into my head, this like random stranger, I was like, well, that jives with my own experience <laughs> at yeah. my job. So, yeah. I mean, the only thing is, like, I feel guilty if I don't meet with my students. But, you know, honestly, when I was in college, you know, if my if I missed, like, if, I, if my professor was out for, like, two sessions, I might be like, oh, gosh, I hope they're okay. But, like, if they missed one, I'd yeah. be like, <laughs> day off <laughs> there was one student i have who every time i was out she emailed me and she was like, be like Are you- i hope you feel better i miss oh. you i can't wait to see you when you come back or something like that i'm like oh, oh my, my god, god i love you oh. that's so sweet she was the same she took me for both classes that i teach and then she's like, do you teach any more? And I'm like, no, we only oh. offer these two classes. <laughs> and this she's like, so sweet. but I want to take another class. I'm like, I know, but I'm sorry. We only offer these two and you've taken them both. <laughs> so I'm going to actually try to get um, history of Western on the docket. Mm-hmm. So we have like three classes. Mm-hmm. But For her. Yeah, for her. <laughs> I mean, she... <laughs> In case there are other people like her in the future. There will be. I mean, three classes. I mean, ideally, it would be four classes. That'd be great. Then you could take a class every semester. Mm. But three would be good, too. But I don't think they're going to go for it. And I told Nick, I can't think of anything until maybe next summer yeah. <laughs> as I'm moving. But we'll see if we can put a proposal together. We'll see what happens. It'd be nice to have a little bit of variety. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Your hair looks great. What did you do to it? I showered. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I've never used leave-in conditioner. And, like, I don't really know what my hair type is, but sometimes, you know, it's kind of wavy. Like, it's uh-huh. not curly, but maybe it's just – it's so weird. Like, it thins – it's thinned from testosterone a little bit on the crown, but everywhere else, it's really thick. And so I was like, okay, let me try a leave-in conditioner. And it did make my hair look really wavy, but it also made it feel really gunky. And and to be fair, it, it was something recommended by like predominantly black women and obviously like different hair types, you know, but I 
but I mean, it looked nice. And I think maybe I just used too much. So then today during my lunch break, I showered again and I was like, okay, that feels better. Yeah. I've been, I was thinking about cutting my hair, but there was this guy on Survivor <laughs> who basically has like exactly what I want. And he, he kept, gave me the courage to keep going. My friend Josh has like hair kind of similar to yours, but it's very long. It's probably like halfway down his back Dang. and it just looks amazing. He just keeps growing it. And wow, he's, I'm trying to think how old he is. He might be like close to 35, but I was like, he's yours, like, your age. I'm like, well, he's probably a little older than you are, but um, to be a man and have like, like, uh, especially cis men, not no offense, mm-hmm. but to take good care of your hair. I feel mm-hmm. like, more power like you're amazing <laughs> yeah. the world's against you and is not helping you like men so great that you are taking care of yourself yeah he's a he's a real sweet sweetie and he's a woho so nice yeah hey matt we we yes. don't really have time to do this and we're gonna do our like fave fives fave sixes Ooh, spoiler we're doing six <laughs> this year um, <laughs> uh for the whole year but did you have maybe one that you want to shout out from last month yes um i'm going to give a little shout out to this movie called bloody hell um it came out in 2020 and i watched it on shutter i believe and it was just very fun it's this guy who goes to finland to escape um, he's like became an infamous figure in America, goes to escape, gets kidnapped by cannibals. Um, so it's kind of like a horror comedy. And and I don't always like horror comedies. Sometimes I just hate them. But this one actually made me laugh. So recommend Bloody Hell. How about uh, you, Mother? I'm going to just shout out your next. It's just a solid film that holds up. I just watched it just because I felt like watching it. And um, yeah, I think it's great. I think if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. And if you haven't seen it lately, you should watch, watch it, it again. again. It is a classic. <laughs> it's it's real good. And I know people don't like the one with Samara weaving in it. Oh, but, The Hunt? Um, is that what that's called? Or wait, something? The Hunt? No, it's called Ready or Not. Oh, yeah. I never saw that one, but I love Samar- Samara weaving, so... Also has Christian Brune in it, who was in Orphan Black. He played. Oh, who is he? He was the husband of Allison. I don't remember. But why don't we talk about zombies? Zombies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just a, as a preface, I love zombies. I love zombie movies. I think, in the great scheme of like horror monsters. If you got werewolves and vampires and zombies and whatnot, zombies are my favorite. I think there is a quiet and chilling horror to them. I mean, obviously, there's all the, you know, there obviously there's all the seeing, you know, your loved ones, you know, turn into monsters and whatnot. But I don't know. There's just something also about, sorry, my mic's been like, I gotta get a new cord. Anyways. The fear, it's almost like it follows, you know, the fear of these great giant things that will follow you until forever. And maybe against one, you're fine, but against 500, you're dead. And I particularly wanted to do Train to Busan and Night of the Living Dead, 
because uh, there's something I hate in zombie movies, which is when the movie, not just a character, but the movie itself tries to like project the idea that helping other people is bad. And that, I mean, really, like there's some movies where it almost feels a little bit like eugenics in a way where it's like, we can't help children. We can't help old people. They'll just slow us down and whatnot. I hate that. I don't think there's any life that is more valuable than another. So I love Train to Busan because it subverts that. And I also think Night of the Living Dead showcases that well. And since it was the first one, you know, you'd think other ones would follow suit. But anyways. I just also want to put put in a plug for 28 Days Later. Which I don't know if we'll ever do. We probably will. Um, We'll do it. I do like that bit in the middle with Christopher Eccleston and his little army of fuckheads. You know, they want to like rape and impregnate the girls. And that whole segment to me is very chilling. It's that whole thing that we always come back to where you know, we're the real monsters. Like, mm-hmm. and when you see, and there's a lot of monstrous behavior that we see in both of these movies that we're talking about today. And I think that horror is great in that, just point that out. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, there's no zombie apocalypse happening, but you can definitely make the connections to COVID and how instead of coming together for a common good, you know, there is a lot of selfishness. And both these movies show that being selfish and, you know, doing stuff like that is going to get you killed, you know, it's going to ruin everything. Whereas, even if there's some casualties, I mean, in the zombie movie, not, you know, but like, doing the right thing is the best thing to do. Yes. Like, Sure, it might not always be easy. People might get hurt, but our goal should be coming together and, you know, solving things together. I totally agree. So the we're going to start with Night of the Living Dead and the brief summary from IMDb says a ragtag group of Pennsylvanians barricade themselves in an old farmhouse to remain safe from a horde of flesh-eating ghouls that are ravaging the east coast of the United States. This was directed by George A. Romero. The screenplay was by John Russo and Romero, and it stars Dwayne Jones, Judith O'Day, Marilyn Eastman, Carl Hardman, Judith Ridley, and Keith Wayne. The cinematography was by George A. Romero. The release date was October 1, 1968, and it has a runtime, a sweet runtime, of 96 minutes. And I watched it on HBO Max. I watched it on publicdomain.net. <laughs> yeah. uh, will you um, humor me for a sec? Because I thought this yeah. was so interesting. Um Because when I was looking at the fact that it was on publicdomain.net, I legit was like, this came out in 1968. How in the hell is it public domain? Googled it. It It's a a whole story. So just from, and and there's no way that this would ever happen today because it had to do with the laws that were in place at the time. But basically, Night of Living Dead was going to have a different name, but it sounded too much like another movie. 
So they made it Night of the Living Dead. And when they did that, somebody just didn't do the copyright. And so ever since it came out, it's been in public domain, much to the chagrin of Romero, but probably encouraged more creativity for the zombie genre because like all of the zombie rules of like, you know, got to get them in the head and, you know, if you get a, if you get bit, they're going to, you know, you'll turn into one that all came from this movie. And now we've been able to build on the lore because anybody could, you know, apply those same things to their story. Whereas if it had been copyrighted, they could have made it so like, no, nobody can do this. So sorry, Romero, he still got pretty rich. You know, I think he did fine for himself, but good for all of us because we might not have had all the great zombie movies that we have today. And also James A. Janice pointed out that um, it's often showing on TV in the background of other horror movies. Yes. Yeah. Because it's in the public domain. So, um, but yeah, I think it lost Romero like millions of dollars, but like you said, I mean, it, it did establish a lot of these rules and tropes that we see that, you know, are honored or subverted, you know, today. So hugely culturally significant. And I wanted you to see this because this is your first time. So yeah. I sort of, I sort of strong armed Mac. Sort of <laughs> it, it makes to, sense. To choose this one. <laughs> I mean, I think Train to Busan is one of the best zombie movies I've ever seen. And I think it pulls a lot of its greatest stuff from the original. Yeah, you know what else? I We're not there yet. And you know what else I thought for some reason? I think there was some invasion of the body snatchers and trade to Busan. But we'll, we'll oh. I, if, I, if I can remember what I was thinking, we'll get, we'll get to it. <laughs> anyway, we start with this static shot of a car traveling up a winding road. And there's this eerie music. Oh, also sidebar with the music. That was in the public domain. Like they didn't have a score for this film. They just pulled from stuff that was freely available. There's the title card as the shift, as we shift perspectives and the car drives away and we meet Johnny and Barbara who have traveled three hours to put a wreath on their father's grave. Uh, the radio comes on, but Johnny shuts it off right away before they can hear an announcement. Barbara kneels in prayer and Johnny makes fun of her. Um, he's such a dick he's like she's praying to you know their dead parents and he's like come on praying's for church can you get up already <laughs> like, and she's like well i haven't seen you in church lately <laughs> but uh, a man in the distance is sort of wandering uh slowly in the graveyard and johnny starts to kid with her and we get the famous line they're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> what in that? This is such big brother behavior. <laughs> totally. Uh, the wandering man grabs at Barbara. Johnny fights him off, but he falls and hits his head against a gravestone. And Barbara runs off, losing her shoes in her haste. Gotta also just quickly shout out when she says to Johnny, You're ignorant! <laughs> <laughs> really good stuff. I also love Johnny's, like, Coke bottle glasses. Like, they are so 60s. I miss him. Kind of wish he was in more of the movie. Yeah. So she runs to the car, but she doesn't have the car keys. Johnny has the keys. Uh, the man pushes at her and tries to open the doors of the car. And he finally breaks one of the windows with a brick. Barbara lets go of the brake release. 
but she crashes the car against a tree. Then she spots a house across a field, and she she runs inside the back door and locks it behind her. She grabs a knife, and she notices the only inhabitants of the house seem to be a bunch of, of taxidermied heads and one very dead lady upstairs. Um, also, sidebar, when when Ben pulls that lady with the mm-hmm. blanket, that's actually the little girl from the basement. Oh. Yeah, the same actress. Interesting. <laughs> there were a lot of people who did double duty on this movie. Yeah, because they had no money. Yeah. Right? Like, um, like Helen mm-hmm. is in the basement. She's one of the zombies outside, and she's the one eating the bark off the tree. And, oh. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Anyway, the phone is out of order, and there are two other zombies we see who join the original one and shamble toward the house. She is so startled to see the dead woman that she runs out of the house and runs into Ben. This badass. I love him. <laughs> and ju- I, he is a black man, and this was like a point of contention when the movie first came out. Like, there were some people who, I mean, obviously there's racist people who we're not used to seeing like a black man in such a significant protagonist role. And Romero was just like, he was the best who best guy who auditioned. What do you want me to do? You know? And he's amazing. Yeah. Also so handsome. So handsome. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny with some of the stuff that happens later. It's hard to ignore the fact that he's black yes. when he slaps a white woman right across the face or the ending. Uh, picks her well of course the ending but even when he like picks her up you know Mm -hmm. in his arms and puts her on the on the uh, couch and stuff so his race is never commented on Mm -hmm. um by other other players in the in the movie but yes of course the end has so much more of a powerful punch than it otherwise would barbara has become mute in her shock um, she gestures toward the corpse upstairs and Ben checks it out. Blood is dripping from the landing upstairs and some gets on Barbara. I kind of like that. It was great sound. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like squishy blood. Outside, the zombies are working to break the headlights on the car. So I like this movie because it sort of clues you in a bit by bit, like mm-hmm. what the weaknesses of the zombies are. So we get this first one that lights. They don't like lights. Barbara has a little breakdown while Ben goes outside and kills two of the zombies with a tire iron. A third zombie breaks into the house and Ben kills him too. Because he's a badass. <laughs> I love Ben. He's just sort of like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I I'm do know yeah, that we need to go into survival mode. Yeah. And he doesn't have a breakdown. He doesn't worry about it. Like, he's kind of like, I'll have a breakdown later. Like, this is important to take care of business right now. He repels another zombie and locks the door. Ben drags the first zombie out of the porch and lights it on fire, which repels the other zombies. Ben continues to be a boss as Barbara is still paralyzed by shock. Ben explains to her that they will have to work together to board up the windows and doors. He tells her to look for some wood, but she plays with a music box. As and ben. I, I love his reaction to her because 
I, one thing that I don't like about this movie is how useless she is. I mean, I get the point is supposed to be she's a she's catatonic after watching her brother die, but she's useless. Like she and and it's I've seen old movies with women before. It's not just she has shock. It's that she's a woman. You know, that's why she's written like this, in my opinion. And but it was great to see Ben be like, hey, like, snap out of it, bitch. You know? Yeah, because <laughs> I was getting annoyed by her. So I, I like that he was. Oh, you can't hear. I can hear you. But you like sometimes you get real quiet. Oh, how about how about now? No, it's good now. OK. Um, But yeah, that he's he's frustrated with her. Yeah. Ben takes apart a door and salvages all the wood he can from the house. Barbara, in her stupor, brings Ben some wood. And there's a bunch of low Dutch angles, which uh, are pretty fun. Can you explain a Dutch angle again? Dutch angle is when um, we're not looking at the image, like, square on. It's, like, it's at a, a little angle, one way or the other. And they can be very severe. They can, this would probably be whatever that is, 45 degree angles. But mm. a lot of them are low too. So we're looking up mm. um, from the floor onto mm. our characters. After securing one room, Ben monologues about how he encountered a bunch of zombies at Beatland's diner as he dismantles a wooden dining room table. Barbara sits in a chair. And then Barbara tells the story about Johnny and her at the cemetery. They sc- she screams that they have to go back out there and get Johnny. And Ben tells her that her brother is dead. She slaps Ben in the face and he slaps her right back. Love, I, Honestly, I love that. Me too. Barbara faints. Ben gets the radio to work and the announcer lays out the facts as they know them. There is an, epide- there is an epidemic of mass murder by unidentified assassins all over the place. Emergencies, emergency services are deluged with calls for help. Ben sees some zombies lumbering toward the house, and so he starts a fire in the fireplace and creates a makeshift, creates a makeshift torch with the table leg and lights a chair on fire. He pushes it toward the zombies and they shrink back. The radio says that the president is going to meet with various officials from the FBI and NASA. Yeah, because there's, I, I like the, it's interesting, the kind of alien aspect of this one <laughs> yeah. that doesn't really, you don't really see as much like in other, other people's iterations. But also, I, I believe the original title also had something to do with aliens, perhaps, or maybe one of the first working titles or something. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about that detail, actually, until yeah. I rewatched it. Over the voiceover of the news report, Ben finds a rifle and bullets in a closet, as well as some shoes for Barbara. That was very sweet. Yeah. The news report tells the victims being partially devoured. Then, two men emerge from the cellar, which frightens Barbara. These are human men. And uh, Ben and the older man, Mr. Cooper, get into an argument about whether or not they should all move into the cellar where where Cooper's wife and daughter remain. And Harry Cooper and Helen Cooper were, I don't know if they were married, but they were like business partners. Interesting. Um, in real life, yeah. Oh. 
As Ben walks into the kitchen, a hand grabs at him from outside the house. The younger man, Tom, stabs at the hand, and Ben shoots at the two zombies. He shoots and hits them, but he finds that he can only kill them if he shoots them in the head. And then there's this whole thing about um, Cooper and Ben are arguing, arguing about whether or not to go into the cellar. And I love this line so much that I wrote it down. If you're stupid enough to go die in that trap, that's your business. However, I am not stupid enough to follow you. And then he says, it is tough for the kid that her old man is so stupid. I love that part so much. He's not having it. He's like, I, and I like that he literally says, like, I'm the boss up here. I can't. Okay. Yeah, he literally says that. Like, yeah, you can be the boss down there. I'm the boss up here. Well, Harry decides to board his family up in the cellar. Um, Tom calls for his girlfriend, Judy, to come up. And all we know about the child is she's just asleep on the table. We don't know why she's unconscious yet, uh, but that will be very important later. <laughs> so then the wife and, and the husband get into a little bit when she finds out that there's a radio upstairs. Yeah. There, I I love the little bit of like, I don't know, I don't know, in casual, subtle storytelling, like just how you can see that these two uh, don't really see eye to eye very much. Like she's like, you're always like this, you know, maybe you are an idiot, like something like that, you know? Well, she says, yeah, she says something at one point where she's like, maybe it's not the best like living together, but I sure don't want to die together or something like that. <laughs> like, like, ooh. <laughs> Uh, ben then finds a TV upstairs and Helen sits with Barbara, who is in a trance playing with a doily. So now we have another, we have a TV report. Of course, you know, it needs a cup there. It takes a couple of men to carry the TV downstairs because it's 1968 and <laughs> a huge piece of furniture. But <laughs> on the TV report, we learn that victims have been partially devoured and that those who have recently died are coming back to life and seeking human victims. There are civil defense rescue stations being set up and people are advised to make their way there. Whereas in the beginning, they were told just to stay put in their houses or whatever. And that a recent satellite containing radiation may have something to do with the mutations on earth. Now, did you know that the guy who was um, questioning the scientists was Romero himself? I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah. So when the camera cuts to the officials who were in the meeting in Washington, the science don't have, the scientists are kind of arguing amongst themselves. Like they don't have a definitive answer and they disagree about the cause of the mutations. And one of them's like, well, now wait a second. We haven't quite decided what we believe on this. So we don't want to like uh, say anything definitively yet. And this other guy's like, no, no, it definitely is <laughs> radiation. <laughs> On the TV, people are alerted to burn the bodies of the dead. Ben organizes the people to gather jars and kerosene to make Molotov cocktails. Ben and Tom are going to try to gas up the truck as Harry throws the cocktails from upstairs. Well, this is just so sad because we're going to lose a couple of our of our crew in a minute. Our friends. Yeah. 
Ben and Tom open up the door as the women move to the basement, and Harry goes upstairs with the cocktails. The zombies are just milling about. Harry tosses the bombs that repel the zombies. Tom makes it to the truck, and when Judy, and when Judy, she just like runs out. Because they had a whole moment where she's like, you know, but why do you have to leave? And, you know, they're like, hey, bitch, stay, stay inside. And she's like, no, I'm a woman. I'm irrational. (laughs) Um, But um, Harry bars the door, you know, against them from the inside. Ben climbs into the back of the truck and swings the fiery table leg at them. They make it to the gas pump, but part of the truck catches on fire. Ben tries to smother the fire so that it doesn't get to the gas pump. But Tom and Judy are not able to get away from the truck and it catches on fire. Mostly because of Judy. She got her stupid, like, sweater caught on something. The zombies start to converge on Ben, who holds them off with the burning table leg. Cooper has barred the front door, so Ben has to kick it open like a badass. And he nails it shut again when he gets inside. God, fucking Cooper. Cooper. Fucking Cooper. What an asshole. He's a huge asshole. The worst. So Ben punches Cooper a bunch. Deserved. And Ben says, you gotta drag Cooper out there and feed them to those things. Feed him to those things. Zombies start to feed on Tom and Judy's bodies. And they're fighting over their organs and intestines. <laughs> pretty gross. Like, I thought this was pretty gross, even yeah. today. <laughs> um, and I guess these really were, like, like animal organs. Like, oh, this God. wasn't, like, these weren't, like, props. Like, um, what was that movie with the, they made the chicken breast out of sugar? Mm. <laughs> like, like, raw? This, this wasn't, a, you know, wasn't Ugh. that. This was actually, like, organs. Disgusting. So gross. um well it's finally revealed that the kid was bitten on the arm by one of those things cooper (laughs) um then we get this news report of uh like a bunch of men with guns uh, carrying out an operation and chief mcclellan reports that if you shoot the ghouls in the head you can overcome them mcclellan and his crew are moving toward willard which is where our heroes are. Then the power goes out. And one of the ghouls grabs the table leg and starts banging on the door. Others join him and use bricks to break windows. Helen and Ben work to hold the wood against the door. Ben drops his gun and Cooper trains it on Ben. Cooper? Cooper? Ben winds up shooting Cooper, which causes Cooper to stagger downstairs into the cellar. The ghouls claw at Helen as Barbara looks on in fear and finally joins in the fight. When Helen goes back down into the cellar, she sees her precious baby feeding on Harry's body. This is like probably my favorite part. This is so cool. Yeah, it's so like, I I don't know, it, it looks harrowing and... When she's just approaching her, like I, I find it interesting. These zombies don't use; they use weapons. <laughs> they're smart yes. enough to use weapons. Yeah, they're pretty smart. I mean, e- even compared to the Train to Busan ones. Oh, they can't even open a door. No, they can't <laughs> open a door. <laughs> um, Karen grabs a trowel. Karen, the little girl, grabs a trowel 
and stabs her mother to death with it, like, a lot. Like, like 12 <laughs> times or something. And then the sound gets real trippy, like, in that moment, too. Yeah. Upstairs, the ghouls break in, and Johnny, brother Johnny, the ghoul, grabs Barbara and carries her away. Karen emerges, Karen emerges from the cellar and grabs at Ben. Ben locks himself in the cellar as the ghouls spill into the house. Ben encounters Harry and Helen's bodies and shoots Harry again. <laughs> <laughs> Helen's eyes open and Ben shoots her too. Okay, and then it's morning. Birds are chirping. Oh, everything's probably going to be fine. I'm sure it's fine now. Uh, there's a helicopter in the sky. Men are walking across the field where our house is. German shepherds are brought in, and Chief McClellan and some men go to check go to check out the house. Ben awakens to hear dogs barking. Men shoot at the zombies they see in the field. Ben slides the board away from the door and emerges. Ben holds the rifle out the window, and he is shot. Over the credits are shots of the men with hooks carrying Ben's body outside of the house and and laying his body onto the pile of zombie bodies as they light them all on fire. So sad. Very sad. <laughs> Such a bummer. And very disturbing. Yes. Because especially what we were talking about before, I definitely feel like this has a completely... It would obviously be sad no matter what, but obviously has such a different like connotation with him being a black man. Yeah, especially I mean at any time in history, but especially in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't know if I included it, but one of the letterbox reviews was there should be a a trigger warning for black people for the ending of this movie. Well Mac, what phobia is that? Hmm. Quimetrophobia is the fear of cemeteries. Ooh. This is one of the most profitable independent movies ever made. It was made for $114,000, which is equivalent to $941,800 in 2022. It grows to approximately $30 million, which is equivalent to $247.8 million in 2022, over 263 times its budget. Damn. When discussing the film for Bravo's The 100 Scariest Movie Moments, George A. Romero said that the moment they finished editing the film in Pittsburgh, they put the reels into the cans, threw it into the trunk of the car, and drove straight to New York City that night in hopes of having it screened at any willing theater. Wow. That's so inspiring. People, I love it. Make your movie, make your art. And then go get people to look at it. You never know. You might make the most iconic horror film of all time. <laughs> the movie rating system was instituted on November 1st, 1968. The film released October 1st, 1968. is one of the last films released in the U.S. without a rating. Hmm. Bosco chocolate syrup was used to simulate the blood in the film. I guess there's like more leeway if you're black and white. Yeah, yeah. because when you get into the 70s and there's like, you know, I don't know, like a lot of blood. Bright just, red. It's a lot like paint. Yeah. You know, up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Actor, co-producer, Harl, nope, 
Carl Hardman, <laughs> Harry Cooper, the father in the basement, also served as makeup artist, electronic sound effects engineer, and took the still photos used for the closing credits. Wow. What a labor of love this was. Yes. The film's world premiere was at the Fulton Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on 1 October 1968 at 8 p.m., admission by invitation only. (laughs) The film was met with a standing ovation. Okay, I'll do, yeah, one more. George A. Romero originally hired Tom Savini to do the makeup effects for his, for this film. The two were first introduced when Savini auditioned for an acting role in an earlier film that never got off the ground. Romero, remembering that Savini was also a makeup artist, he brought his makeup portfolio to the audition, called Savini to the set of his horror movie. Savini was unable to do the effects because he was in the U.S. Army, serving as a combat photographer in Vietnam. Savini later appeared in Dawn of the Dead, 1978, and directed Night of the Living Dead, 1990. Wow. And I can't remember what um, James A. Janice calls him, like, gore, gore daddy, or something. I kind of feel like that's like some, some name. And gore daddy. There's a really great, um, for the black phone, Savini was involved in making the masks mm. for um, Ethan Hawke's character. And there's just a great interview where basically Savini is a is a fan of James A. Janice, and Janice is like freaking out. He's like, "Oh, oh that's so, so sweet." What does Letterboxd have to say about it? Well, Charlie McCord gave it a half star. It's cool to watch a piece of horror history, but that's about as far as I can go with it. I'm not sure what it is, but black and white films and films that came out before maybe 1970-ish in general just absolutely do not resonate with me. That's fair. I think it took me a while in a few black and white movies to be able to get down. Just as somebody who grew up with only colored movies, like it is for, I guess, if if this person's a part of my generation, like a bit of a weird, but after, I mean... You can get over it. There's so many great black and white movies. Why limit yourself? That's what I'm saying. Right? I mean, I was thinking about this, like, uh, I mean, aside from The Wizard of Oz, which I saw from a very young age, you know, it it would be on TV, like, every year. Um, First first parts in black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, But also... um, it's a Wonderful Life. Yes, it's totally in black and white. And yeah. um, I saw that pr- as a, at a pretty young age. So mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, you and I are 27 years apart in age. So, you know, we're of different generations. So uh, I had a little more of an introduction than you did. But I know it's hard with, if you've like never seen a black and white film. Yeah, you and obviously you can do a lot of really awesome things with colors, but I think for me as somebody who's into art and and whatnot also, there's a lot you can really admire in a black and white movie since they can't use color. It's all value and, you know, trying to convey all of that with just black, whites, and grays. And there's so many really cool effects that people did and were able to pull off because it was black and white. So I still think it's a great artistic medium if you can just get over that little hump. Yeah. 
And I feel like I was really lucky to take a film class in high school and like we watched Psycho and, you know, things like that where, where my teacher was really careful to point out just what you just said. That you can't, mm-hmm. you can't get the shadows and the effects with color, you know, unless you shoot it in black and white. Yeah. Anime Marks gave it a half star. Very dull. Watch this whilst doing politics homework and enjoyed the homework more. <laughs> if you can believe it. Whoa. <laughs> CK205302 gave it one star. Aliens. Johnny's tie was a crime. Old time Angelina Jolie and Mary Tyler Moore and no justice for Barb. No one has any respect for gasoline or vehicle safety. This is why we should abolish daylight savings time. (laughs) There's a lot in there. Wow. (laughs) There's a lot of different ideas. (laughs) 1984Fan777 gave it five stars. This review may contain spoilers. This movie has zombie. (laughs) (laughs) Jojo gave it five stars. And his favorite films are Neroy, Happiness, Inside Out, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. JoJo said, good. (laughs) I think he liked it. I think he liked it. Rock Hopperman gave it five stars. The paranoia of working class America run amok in the 1960s. It's got that old horror movie sheen of classy slash corny black and white, combined with surprisingly high levels of gore and violence. An all-time classic and holds up quite well. And damn, does Dwayne Jones give a good performance. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) You picked some great ones. (laughs) Joe Gravinsky gave it five stars. The crickets chirping throughout is too loud on the Criterion 4K. (laughs) Feel like I'm losing my damn mind. Someone else check this out and report back to me. <laughs> On it. <laughs> I got you, Joe Krupinski. <laughs> Clever name, 42069, give it five stars. Quote, we luck into a safe place and you're telling us we got to risk our lives just because somebody might need help, huh? Yeah. Something like that. That was a great line delivery by Dwayne Jones. Yeah. Uh, The greatest school story ever told. Scoff at the old time horror movies. All you like, hypothetical person I just made up to argue with. But this is still as sharp and relevant as it was when it was made. I simply can't stop admiring it. I would co-sign all of that, except for the my still present critique of, I wish there was a woman in this movie. Maybe Helen Helen is okay. Helen's okay. But Judy and Barb's? Mm. I don't know. Not great. Yeah, literally worthless. Like, I kind of can't get over that. I wouldn't give this movie five stars because of that. (laughs) Well, also, I really, I don't think Judy adds anything. There's that one scene where I guess they're, like, professing their love to each other. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And then they die. Get on with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't like that part at all. I, I feel like she was an unnecessary character. I guess Tom, too, but we did have to have that truck blow up and um, see the zombies actually feasting on 
Yeah. People, but I don't know what this means. But Dan says he gave it five stars, and he says totally get why this is considered a classic. Slaps hard enough to cook a chicken. What is that? Something people say. Dan? People say something slaps, but I've never heard that before. All right, well, I've got one more. <sighs> Stockton to the lone thirty-one. Give it five stars. Night of the Living Dead. Nope. Night of the Living Daylight Savings Time. First time I watched this was Halloween night when I was like 10 after trick-or-treating. I also tongue kissed a girl for the first time in, in Halloween night, maybe that same year. The two are probably really <laughs> I hope not. Oh, gosh. Well, how would we rate this? Knock? Hmm. 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 I think we should rate it in um, trowels. Try <laughs> deadly trowels. Yeah, I'll give it four deadly trowels. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna give it four too. I do think the acting is not great, um, but other than that, I think it's pretty good. Well, you know, in that one scene, but other than that, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I think again, I I wish there was a woman who had a brain cell, but um. Other, th- if I ignore the women in this movie, I like it. That's how I feel about most things written by men. <laughs> Honestly, if I could just ignore all the women, all the what what apparently you think women contribute, <laughs> but the way you write men, oh great, <laughs> awesome. What this is at Stephen King as well. <laughs> <laughs> what have we learned from this film, Mac? Oh my God. Um. Okay, I wanted to bring up, this reminds me, I wanted to bring up, somebody online had the audacity to say that Ben is the antagonist because he hides in the cellar at the end. And so they were like, well, if everybody just hid in the cellar, it's like, no, it's not because they stayed upstairs why everyone died. It's because everyone else was stupid as fuck. It's not Ben's fault that Judy ran out. It's not Ben's fault Cooper's an idiot. Like, if they had all listened to him, they wouldn't have died. That's the point. I just, oh, that made me so mad when I saw that. Yeah, I don't know. James A. Janice addressed this as well. And he said it's not that, like, he did consider the possibility of going into the cellar. He wasn't like, whatever you do, don't go into the cellar. Yeah. It was just, you know, so it's not like he totally flipped. Um, I think he was assessing the situation as he went along. And then at that moment decided that was the safest thing to do. And he was correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, he's, there's no way he's the antagonist, especially <laughs> with fucking Cooper. Cooper. fucking Cooper. Cooper. <laughs> I mean, I would say, listen, to competent people. Yes. Even if you don't like them. Yes. For some irrational reason. That um, I would say I have learned, yes, but work. Sometimes we just need direction. If there's somebody who's going to take the lead, follow, follow their lead. Yeah. I mean, Cooper is just such a child. He's like, we'll see who's right. You know, it's like, how old are you? 12? And you have like a wife and a child? Like, come on. Also, I gotta say, 
I'm not in favor of people smoking, but I am in favor of handsome people smoking in the past in black and white movies. That was something I noticed. I was like, damn, everybody in this movie smokes. (laughs) (laughs) It looks so cool. I mean, it smells terrible. It's awful for you, but it just looks great. It does. The smoke, you know, all of it. (laughs) Uh, Would we watch this again? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And did you have a favorite scene or favorite death, Matt? Definitely it was Karen killing her parents. Those were my, and not, not cause it's not just cause it's Cooper, but I think that part, I, again, that's one of my favorite things about the zombie idea is cause it's right when I was thinking, I was like, okay, Karen's probably infected. Um, and you know, then they're talking about burning bodies. How do you convince two parents to burn the, the body of their child? You don't, you know, that's my favorite thing about zombies is like the dissonance between the real monsters coming after you and the fact that. They are still your loved ones, you know, and even if it's quote unquote irrational to, you know, be Helen and to welcome her child into her arms, how do you expect her to do anything else? You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, trying to Busan does the same thing with mm-hmm. um, Choi Min Sex character. I think that's his name. The, the baseball boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. His character. Yeah. And his scenes, both with his girlfriend and his teammates. Yeah, it's just, it's, how can you not be affected by seeing the visage of somebody you love so much, you know? It would be horrible. And maybe that's what I was thinking with, um, with um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and not being Mm. able to kill the pod, you know, but yeah, I, I like that scene too. I think it's really solid. I do just sort of like Ben's entrance onto the scene. Just mm-hmm. all the, you know, she's running out like in this irrational, you know, moment, and he appears and just like, you know, shuffles her into the house and just takes charge. And it's just such a powerful, you know, entrance. I, I just love it. Right, Train to Busan. Well, here is the brief plot summary from IMDb. When a zombie virus breaks out in South Korea, passengers struggle to survive on the train from Seoul to Busan. It was directed by... Okay, please. I know people say this all the time, but truly, I do not know very well. Thank you for writing the better phonetics, though, um, on this. But yeah, Korean is truly a language I'm not very good at. But it was directed by Yoon Sanho and written by Park Joo-suk. It stars uh, Gong Woo as Sugo, Jung Yoo Mi as Sung, who is Sang-hwa's pregnant wife, Ma Dong-suk as Yoon Sang-hwa, the husband of Sang-hyung, um, Kim Soo-an as Soo-an, the daughter of Sek-wo, and Choi Woo-sik, um, sorry, Choi Woo-sik as Min Young-guk, a high school baseball player. Soo-hee as Kim Jin-hee, Young-guk's girlfriend. And Yui Sung as Yun-suk, a business executive. So, 
as we're going through this, I put the names in there, but do you maybe want to say like the dad, you know, like identify them not by their names, but by their roles? It's probably what's going to just end up happening, <laughs> to be honest. No, I mean, fair. Just like. I feel like also the names aren't necessarily super used in the movie anyway. Like, I remember definitely um, Jinhee. I feel like we hear her name a lot in Suan, but everybody else kind of don't get their names. No, that's true. Cinematography was by Lee Hyung Duk, and it was released the 13th of May 2016 at Cannes and July 20th, 2016 in South Korea with a runtime of 118 minutes. Quite long, but worth it. I remember seeing that this was coming to Netflix and being so excited and watching it and loving it. <laughs> it's just a great movie. So we begin with a quarantine zone. There's this driver and right off the bat, I just got to say, I just think like the way that they set up, like everything looks so good this truck that this man is driving is so cool looking and like kind of beat up you know like i don't he looks like a total hick i don't know like i just feel like everything in this movie was crafted so well so this truck is uh driving through a quarantine zone the driver is kind of like what the fuck what's going on am i gonna have to you know is am i gonna have to bury you know all my animals again and they tell him, no, there's just a minor leak in this biotech zone. You can go on. And he's a little bit distracted, reaching for his ringing phone, and he hits and kills a deer. I do love the scene because he kind of is just like, gets out, looks at it, and he's like, what a shitty day. Spits on the ground and drives off. <laughs> but then we see the deer kind of have a little moment. It doesn't just get up. It's like... You know, it like rolls over and does a. It's it's one of those zombie movies where when the transformation happens, bones get creative. Um, so <laughs> we we go back, we see the deer, and he's staring into the camera with these milky eyes, and then we get a title card. <laughs> um, James A. Janice, don't sue me for uh, using your likeness. So I love the way you mom's written this description. The beautiful Gong Yu. I mean, y'all look him up right now. Tell me he's not one of the most beautiful men you've ever seen. Um, he's working in his office and he sees a news article on the computer that tells of mysterious fish deaths. Then his little underling comes in and he tells him, sell everything. Underling's like, oh, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, do it. And then he asks, what are kids into these days? So he drives home and we learn that number one, he's a workaholic, kind of an asshole, and is estranged from his ex-wife. They have a daughter, Suan, whose birthday is tomorrow. And all she wants for her birthday is to go on the train to Busan and spend her birthday with her mom and not her dad. She even says, hey, you don't have to take me. I'll go myself. And of course, he's like, no, you know, she's a child. We also see he lives with, or his mom lives with him, you know, like she's making his food and, you know, greets him at the door and, you know, is uh, 
you know, telling him like, you know, hey, you need to you need to hang out with Suan. Like she's she's not feeling great. He's missed her recital. Like, come on. And he goes to give her the the gift. Um, she opens it up. We see it is a we. And this child actress is so good. She just slowly lifts her gaze up and the camera pans. She already has a wee. Dad kind of looks down and she goes, Children's Day this year. <laughs> oh, so. And, um, you know, grandma tells him, yeah, she really missed you at the recital. Look, I filmed it. He then is watching it, you know, feels, you know, he's watching her sing and he's, he, he smiles but she stops and looks over to where the camera is and can't go anymore. And everybody in the class is saying, you know, go, Suan, you got this, you got this. But she just looks so sad and he closes the camera. So I think this is when he decides, okay, because he he asks her, okay, well, is there anything else I can get for you? And she's like, let me go hang out with mom. Yeah. So, so the streets are mostly deserted and uh, they – drive over to go to the train and he's cut off by a bunch of emergency vehicles. This is one of my favorite parts about zombie movies is the beginning part where there's all like the chaos that you're kind of like, what's going on? And there's a great moment where he looks and sees a building on fire and all he says is, looks like something's happening. That part's a little bit weird. Yeah, I think something's happening. There's a building on fire. Like, what? (laughs) If I saw a building on fire, I'd be like, wait, let's check the news has there been an attack on this country like what um and also he takes this opportunity to tell her well i saw your recital she says no you didn't you weren't there and he's like well even though you know it might not look like it i am always watching but then he takes the opportunity to neg her and says it's the only way he knows how to talk and he's like well i saw you didn't finish though you know you need to finish something it's even worse than not even doing it to not finish it. And that's when they get cut off. So what an asshole. Um, so we get to boost, we get to the, the train and we get to see all these great characters. Um, I just love me an ensemble horror. So we board the train um, with the dad and Suan. We see a baseball team. So adorable. Um, there are these like this, we got the coach who's like, all right, come on guys, let's go. And all the, you know, baseball boys are there. And then this really pretty girl walks in and everybody's like, yay, you made it. And turns out that's Jin Hee. And, and she's, I guess, their cheerleader. And it, just a lot of cute little story stuff. There's these two elderly sisters. So, you know, we get to the train and uh, there is an injured girl who right before the train closes, hops onto the train. And she looks like she's been chased. So she goes into a bathroom. We also see Ma Dong Suk and his pregnant wife and a business salary man looking man. So the train pulls away and the last thing Suan sees when she's looking out the window is somebody looks like they're getting attacked, but it, you know, it's there and gone. So she's kind of just like, what the <laughs> So there's a there's an attendant um who's told that there's something odd that's been happening in the bathroom. So he goes and looks, and at the same time, Suwon's dad has fallen asleep, so she takes this opportunity to, you know, just walk along the train. She just kind of, like, stands with the two men as they check out the suspicious person who, I think this is great storytelling, too, because you'd think it's that woman who just climbed onto the train. No, they open it, and 
there's a man who, uh, an unhoused person who, you know, very dirty and he's mumbling to himself, everyone's dead, everyone's dead, they're all dead. And they tell him like, well, we're going to have to kick you off at the next station. And uh, the salary man turns to Suan and goes, if you don't go to school, you're going to end up like him. She turns back to him and says, my mom said that people who said that are bad. And he goes, well, she must have flunked out of school. <laughs> but this is, this. it's so, it's the beginning of my, like, the reason why I love this movie is that Suan is just like, what are you talking about? You know, like, I, just worried for this guy. I like her too, because um, I didn't grow up in South Korea. I don't really know that much about the society aside from living there. And, you know, watching a lot of media from there. But it's not, she's not disrespectful. She's always respectful, but she's always direct. Yeah. She's not sassy, like maybe an American character would be. She just speaks her mind. She doesn't try to put anyone down, but she also sees bullshit and calls it out. And I love that about her. Yeah. She sees these things as important issues and is very serious about them. And we can definitely see why with if she has a mom who tells her these things paralleled by a dad who's never there and is an asshole, like these must be very important issues for her. The zombie, the zombie girl gets, we, we pan back to the zombie girl. She is totally rolling around having a moment outside of the bathroom now and one of the you know train station attendants this nice young lady sees her and she's like oh my gosh are you okay of course uh well she she then you know is talking on the walkie-talkie and she's like you know hello we need some help and so while she's got her back turned to zombie girls she slowly rises up and just gets her on the neck so <laughs> This is one of my favorite scenes. So then uh, everybody's looking at the TV. Um, oh, by the way, this is a beautiful train. I've only ever been on one train in my life, Amtrak, and it could never compare to this train. It's gorgeous. I don't, uh, wonderful. So everybody's looking on the TV where there's all these quote unquote violent riots happening. And then um, in the part of the car with all the baseball boys, we see from behind the attendant is walking with the zombie girl on her back. And it's just so like, she gets her to the ground. And of course, everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? You know, she's now starting to zombie out and just chaos erupts. One of the players starts fighting her off with the bat. Um, Players get attacked, you know, shit is going down. So, Everybody, everything's happening where now there's people kind of like running back and forth, like, oh, Suan emerges from the toilet. And, um, oh, I should say earlier, we run into who's two characters who are going to be very important, a man and his pregnant wife. Um, well, we don't see the pregnant wife. We just see the man who is played by the beautiful Ma Dung Suk. That's his name, correct? Yeah. Um, God, this man is just so gorgeous. Um, and you've probably you might have seen him in a new Marvel movie. I believe he's yes, in a Marvel. Yes, he was in the Eternals. Uh, yes, I think it was last year. So my st- I use one of the scenes from this film when I'm teaching consequentialism to mm-hmm. point out the the difference in the actions or motivations of two characters. 
And I, I said, have you seen any of these characters before? Because Chui Wushik was in Parasite, but Ma mm-hmm. Dong Suk, now they know. Ah. Eternals. Yeah. And we, yeah, he, he tells Suwon, like, come on, you, you got to beat it up. You know, uh, my, my wife's in there. And, you know, he's, he's nice, but he's kind of reminds me of like a, like a, an uncle who might razz you a little bit. Um, but he seems, you know, like a sweet guy because he is. And so yeah, Suan emerges from the toilet. Chaos is broken out. Crazed zombies are now getting made all over the place, attacking each other. And these zombies, Train of Busan zombies can be categorized as, you know, they're, I wouldn't say that they're extra fast like fast like supernaturally fast but they don't shamble they run they're very cracky you know they're like i said their bones you know it's just a suggestion the skeleton is now um and they're just like you know just crazy um very fast yes it does not take long like a bite if some of these people seemed like 30 seconds, honestly. Um, it, it's kind of variable throughout the movie depending on uh, what it needs to do to the story. But it is faster than, say, like, you know, six hours or something. So uh, the dad, you know, sees that his his that Suwon's gone. So he finds her and carries her through the train. Sanghua fights off one of the zombies and locks it in the bathroom. So now the train is totally separated between infected and uninfected people. The dad, um, oh no, excuse me. Um, the pregnant wife realizes that, oh no, no, sorry. The dad realizes that the infected do not know how to work the door handle because they're holding it closed, trying to lock it. But he's like, wait, you can let it go. They're just kind of like standing there. Um, it's not really motor skills you have to worry about with these zombies. It's simply how many of them there are. And uh, their determination. So then the pregnant wife um, has an idea. She gets, she plasters newspaper against the window and they totally go silent. So it seems that they need, they don't have object permanence and they cannot open doors. That's good. Good enough. So the dad's uh, mom calls, granny calls, and we hear that her breathing is really labored. And, um, you know, she's telling him like, you know, are you guys on your way? you know, please take care of her. And then as she's starting to, you know, seems to really be deteriorating, she's like, you know, I love Suan so much, but she only wants her mother, you know? <laughs> it's Then she goes, that bitch. And, and then hangs up. So, and this, this is a great moment for the dad because he's up to this point still been pretty like selfish you know we can tell that he kind of only cares about him and his daughter and but now his mom's obviously died and you know he's i don't know i feel like beginning to realize that this is real so uh the phone hangs up the train drives by a station and uh the our crew sees a huge mass attack happening so Again, the biggest issue with these zombies is there's a lot of them, and they'll do whatever they can. So uh, there's then a montage of various attacks and and a government announcement. The government announcement is very funny. They're <laughs> they're like, you know, at this point, you're not in any danger. And then we see this whole vision of like a cityscape with buildings on fire. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, okay, sure. <laughs> 
Um, so everybody's milling around and, you know, feeling kind of anxious. There's, you know, the two older sisters are getting a seat. Um, and Suwon gets up and, and offers her seat to one of them. And her dad says, you don't have to do that. You know, in these moments, you should look out for yourself. And Suwon says, um, but grandma always says that her knees hurt so bad. <laughs> that shuts him right up. So Suwon's mom's phone is off. And um, so as as the dad, you know, calls his his underling to try to see, you know, get more info. Suan hangs out with the man and his pregnant wife. Um, very sweet moment. The wife gives her like a little gummy and tells her to feel her stomach. Suan feels like a kick. And the wife says that the baby's name is Sleepy because the husband's been too lazy to name it. Just a lot of sweetness. They're so cute. One more thing about that scene yeah. is um, Suan says the baby's name is Sleepy and the mother says the fetus's name. And I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it that it was important to her to point out that it's not a baby yet. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know why that was important, but I just liked that moment. Yeah. You, I mean, I've never really heard that ever in a movie before. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. And it's not as if this woman wasn't like a sweet, genuine person. Like, it's not as if she was like, no, this is a fetus. You know, she just, it's a distinction she made. Um, so the train is stopping at Daejeong Station, and the dad calls a friend to see if it's safe there. The friend tells him they will be quarantined if they go there, so go to the East Station. So this asshole, um, not not this, sorry. There is a bigger asshole than the dad, and he does serve as a really great contrast because up to this point, the dad is an asshole. He's he's selfish. He clearly doesn't know how to be a good parent. And, you know, he, yeah, he's really selfish. But then we get this other guy who is, there's always one in a horror movie. In a, like, I remember this guy in Snakes on a Plane. There was a guy just like this. Like, there's just always one of them. But he is a complete dickhead, truly only looking out for himself. And I think it just serves as a great contrast to the dad and showing that, like, this guy's not evil. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know. To me, that's important. Um, so he tells the conductor to uncouple the train and continue to Busan. And so he can't do that. And so they stop at the station. Um, the dad and the daughter go off and separate from everybody else. And the homeless man follows and says, well, I heard your call, so <laughs> I know what's up. Suwon, of course, wants to tell the others, but the father repeats, they're on their own. And she starts crying oh. and says, you only think of yourself, and that's why mom left. <sighs> and she's crying. Like, she's, she's not trying to manipulate him or anything. She's, she's, she's grieving. This. Yeah, she's seeing him for who he really is, and it's breaking her heart. Yeah. No, oh, and, yeah. I I forgot to mention. There's a great earlier scene where, when before the man and his pregnant wife actually reach there, you know they have to fight off some zombies and get there. And the father closes the door on them. This is a man and his pregnant wife. Yeah. Like she's obviously pregnant, and um, 
I mean, again, great callback to Night of the Living Dead. Um, and obviously, you know, he's pissed. And um, Suwan says, no, I know him. You know, he's yeah. nice. He lets him in. And of course, the husband is fucking pissed and says about the same thing. I bet I ought to throw you out there. Um, and again, I think this is part where the dad is beginning to realize, wow, I'm kind of an asshole. So everybody else from the train is on the escalator to the main station. <laughs> they see people in military gear, but when they turn around, they're not military. They're zombies. So a giant horde of of army zombies comes attacking them. And again, it's chaos. Um, there's people on like an escalator. Now they have to try to run up the down escalator. Um, you know, people getting eaten all over the place. So... Suan gets separated from her dad, but um, the husband and pregnant wife get her. They um, and actually, the dad looks like he's about to eat it. But who comes to his rescue? The homeless man. Who there's a zombie on the dad, and the homeless man throws a coat over his head so that he can get free. I mean, and I just think this is a, this is a pretty scary scene because again, this truly illustrates what I meant of. The issue is there's a lot of fucking zombies and they will run and pile on top of each other, kind of like ants, you know, when they make like their own little boats and whatnot out of their own bodies. I mean, if humans did that, it'd be really scary because they're really big. So, um... so yeah, they, they gather the dad and they start, they're holding back the door and there's, um, the husband is trying to get this lock in, but it's tough because the door has to specifically be in line and they're holding it back from a bunch of zombies. So the, the fucking asshole businessman just wants to get out of there. Um, but the conductor's like, no, <laughs> it's a great scene. Cause he's like, come on, we have to go. And the conductor's like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so then a bunch of zombies break through the top window of the train station and just fall on top of the train. They're just falling one right after the other. So everybody's got to now catch the train because the conductor is kind of like, uh, okay, I, I, all right, let's go. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, the train's about to depart without a bunch of the baseball team, Sanghua and sorry, the husband and the dad and the homeless man. But they run and jump into the train um, before Sanghua beats back a bunch of uh, yeah, because the yeah. dad is holding out his arm now, saving, trying to save the the husband, and he grabs a fucking riot shield and a bat and is beating off zombies as he then grabs the dad's hand and gets in. He truly is the hero of this movie, absolutely. And I love that. I love that. Like, I don't know. Like, the dad has this, you know, obviously starts off as such an asshole, but kind of has a role model to follow. Um, somebody that his daughter respects more than him. I mean, <laughs> so, so Suan, um, the pregnant wife and one of the elder, one of the elder, elderly sisters and the homeless man are in a washroom in the middle of like an infective, uh, infected cart. The husband calls the wife and Suan answers and tells them their location, um, and tells them that they have to make it to car 13, which is four cars away and in between a bunch of zombies so they make it through the first car mostly because the husband is punching out zombies but when they get to the second car 
it's sadly full of baseball boys teammates who are basically all gone. So he hesitates. And again, a love, a fucking amazing moment because again, there's humanity here. Like, how can this teenaged boy go and now kill all of his teammates and coach, you know, and everybody? So the husband says, Hey, take a chill. We got this and takes care of them for him. I just think that's so sweet. (laughs) Baseball boy finally has to step up, but when they go through a tunnel and it gets dark, the zombies suddenly get quiet and get super confused and will just blindly follow a sound. So the dad grabs um, baseball boy and the husband's phones, throws one to the other side, um, opposite of where they need to go, calls it, and um, there's this really funny ringtone. And, you know, the zombies follow it so they're able to go through. So then the husband tells um, the dad, he's like, listen, one day, you know, your daughter will understand why you worked so hard and that it's all about sacrifice. He's such a good guy. He's even trying to help his asshole. Um, yes. Baseball boy texts Jinhee, who, you know, tells him like, oh, yeah, you know, you can come to the, come to this place. So... Asshole businessman does not want the other group to come to their car for fear that they are infected and starts trying to rally everybody else against her, against it. Jinhee um, pleads with them and pleads with the, with one of the train attendants that they need to let them back in. And even he begins to start to kind of seem like, uh, maybe not. So they go through another tunnel. They move quietly towards the zombies, crawl up onto the luggage racks, and get past them. Everybody makes it through, but when the homeless man gets down from a luggage rack, he makes a noise. The dad goes and helps him. They stay behind in some chairs. They make a run for it. In the middle of it all, um, the husband gets bit. So they're trying to run back to... Because now they have you know everybody else, the, the elderly sister... Suan, pregnant wife, everybody. They're trying to make it back to the car with all the other uninfected people. But that those people in that car are holding Jin Hee back, have her their hands over her mouth, and are boarding up that wall so they can't get in. A la Cooper. So that is, and basically it's because of that that the husband gets bitten, because they have to hold back all these zombies at this door, and he's telling everybody you know, to get towards the other cart and they break through, they, they break down the window to get through. So the husband realizes, you know, since he's been bitten, he is going to turn. So he tells the dad to go, but asks him to take care of his wife and then turns to his wife and, um, tells her the name of their baby, which I don't remember what was the name. I don't know. He, he, I don't think he really says it. I I guess they had maybe talked about it off camera, Mm. you know, because I, I don't, but he goes, our baby's name. And she like, looks like she knows what he's talking about. So they must've like had a code or something, but anyway, he just indicates that like his wishes for the name of the baby. Yeah. And so everybody is able to make it to safety except for him. Um, And he fights off the zombies as long as he can, but eventually turn. So our heroes break through and they get everybody except for one of the older sisters who, again, since because these assholes have boarded it up, she, un, an unavoidable, an avoidable tragedy happens and she gets turned. So 
the dad punches the train man um or punches the salary man and he's like see he's a zombie he's clearly not his eyes are black you know he looks of sound mind but everybody's like get the fuck out of here you know they're getting aggressive again um with a dad um a young man and gene he is gonna go with them um a pregnant woman and a child like I, but I feel like that's so good because it just shows you how paranoia and an us versus them can turn you into a complete monster. Like, I feel like you got to be a complete monster to tell these vulnerable people to fucking go and get out of there. Um, so they all go to the vestibule and they, they leave, they leave to go to the vestibule and are kind of like, wow, what a bunch of fucking assholes. Well, the other elderly sister sees her sister. And sees that she's a zombie. And this whole time, she's she herself has kind of been a little bit catatonic, like not really saying much. And she just, you can tell, just gets so upset. And, you know, she says something like, you know, this, what is wrong with you? Always putting other people before yourself, you know? And so she goes up to the door and opens it and lets in all the zombies into the, the cart full of assholes. And so then our, our heroes here you know, some shit happening and they're like, oh, oh, what the fuck? So let's see from the windows. They can see that the cities are just on fire. Everybody is just kind of taking it all in. And Suan is having a little moment with her dad and lets him know that she couldn't sing at the recital because he wasn't there and asks her if he will stay with her. And of course he's like, like, yes, of course. Um, he's trying to call his ex-wife, but can't get through to her. Then gets a call from his underling who says that this was all started at YS Biotech, which is the centerpiece of their plan. And he's crying and asks, is this all of our fault? Did we do this? You know, the dad tries to say like, no, like this isn't our fault, but you can tell he feels bad too. So he goes to wash the blood off his hands. Mm -hmm. And it's all just too much and he breaks down crying. This actor is an amazing crier. He really lets go. Like he he's like an ugly crier, but it's good it's gut-wrenching. So the conductor slams on the brake because there's a blockage on the track. And so they've stopped at East Daegu station. The conductor tells them that they have to transfer to another train. The only people left there are the conductor, the dad, his daughter Suwon, the pregnant wife, um, baseball boy, and Jin Hee, and the homeless man. And we find out asshole salary man and the train attendant. So they all escape the train. The conductor found a train, but there's a train on fire coming from the opposite direction that trashes that crashes into the trains. Baseball boy and Jin Hee find a train, but fucking evil salary man is there. And there's a zombie that comes through. He throws Jin Hee at the zombie so he can get past them. So Baseball Boy, you know, gets the zombie off and just holds her as she turns and she attacks him and they both die. So Train Man sees uh, the train on the move and runs towards it, but he slips and turns his ankle. The conductor goes to help, but then is attacked. So... Our little group of four is trapped between the two downed trains with zombies all around. Um, they're literally like under the trains and they're, the zombies are trying to break through the windows. So the homeless man tells them to go 
and sacrifices himself. It's so gut-wrenching. They make it onto the train, but then zombies grab on and (laughs) create the world's largest weighted blanket. Because like I said before, they're just piling one after another. So one grabs a hold, another grabs a hold of the other. It's CGI, but I think it's really cool looking. I mean, it's just crazy. The sea of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to figure out, like, how to say that. It's like a blanket of people. Um, They're not smart, but they are... They're determined. Deter- yeah, persistent. Yeah, the persistent pursuer. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, that's what makes it so scary, and it's yeah. slowing the train down. There's so many of them. Yeah, and there, there's ones climbing on top of other ones that can then get to them. Okay, so the dad kicks at them and dislodges them. Oh, but look who's here—the evil salary man. But he has turned. He says to the dad, Mr. I'm scared. Can you take me home? My mom is waiting for me. My address is, and the dad tells him that he's infected. And he then just kind of freaks out and is, we really get to see like an, uh, like a calm up close, you know, vision of the zombie makeup too, which is pretty fun, you know, to see it without somebody going like, "Ah." um, but he turns and of course, launches forward at the dad. Pregnant wife and the dad fight him, but the dad is bitten on the hand. Fuck. So he chains himself to the to the train and throws the evil man off and sees his bite. Suan is, of course, sobbing and crying. It, this little girl is amazing at crying, and I say this because she made me cry. Um, like, she will make you cry ugly tears. And so again, like this is just if you got through this without crying, like wow, amazing. The dad tells Suan to stay with the pregnant wife. They're now huddled in the cart, and Suan is pleading him to stay with her because he just promised that he wasn't going to leave her. He's crying too and runs away from her um and closes the door and we can hear her like banging and shouting and crying and he has a little moment at the at kind of like the the front of the train outside where he's remembering um holding her as a baby and starts smiling and there's just this like great like mix between him smiling but yeah he be, he thinks of Suan as a baby smiles and just slowly falls off the train and the the pregnant wife Sung Kyung holds Suan in her arms as they cry so they reach a stopping point and have to disembark because there's bodies burning up ahead of the tunnel. They start walking through this dark tunnel, and we then in front see these military people in camouflage. They're asking each other, they're like, okay, we see what looks to be like a woman and a child coming towards us, but we cannot confirm if they're infected or not. And somebody over the the you know radio just goes, oh, kill them. And they both kind of look at each other like, uh, we don't want to do that. Um, and I mean, again, great, great hearkening to Night of the Living Dead. But then we hear the sound of the quiet sound of Suan singing. <laughs> <This is so sad. laughs> She's singing the song from the recital. And... <laughs> And it's just holding Sun King's hand. And because she's singing and they know zombies can't fucking sing, 
they're like, survivors, go get them. And they go and they rescue them because, dear God, if they killed that woman and her, I would that would have ruined the movie. I would have been like, okay, worst movie ever, but this is Christ. The, this is the connection to, to Invasion of the Body Snatchers mm. because they know she's human mm-hmm. because she's singing. Mm-hmm. Just like our hero thinks that when he hears singing, there must be humans and not mm-hmm. aliens. That was the connection I was trying to make. Oh my god, I'm crying right now. Because it's so sad. The lyrics of the song are something like, when this flower blooms again, I will see you once again. And it's like, oh my fucking god. It gets you right in the stomach. Over and over and over again. It's rough. But thank goodness, you know, they survive. Whew. It would have been a very different movie if it would have ended with them getting. I really don't think I would like it. I think I, I would. I, I think either. it would have knocked off a star for me, maybe a star yeah. and a half. Yeah. Because they've already put us through so much. <laughs> I cried at three different places <laughs> watching this movie, and I've seen it a bunch. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's how good the actors are and the storytelling. and Yeah. And I mean, it's so beautiful at the end because we see a a, a pregnant woman and a child. You know, it's like, that is the future. You know, they will bring about the world after this world. So they they are good. They are good people. Yeah. Um, They have good hearts, you know, and they're strong and they're survivors. And that's what they say. We have two survivors. <laughs> I I okay, a couple of couple of hot tips. If you want to cry, if you want to fast cry, look up Thai advertisements on YouTube. <laughs> what? It doesn't matter what the product is, but there's always a story. Oh and no. You will probably cry. Yeah. That's how yeah. they get you. That's how they get you. But <laughs> if you want if you're in it for like two hours or I don't know, 32 hours if you want to watch a whole series <laughs> and cry a bunch. Like I was telling you about the prison playbook. Mm, yeah. The one, the one character story <laughs> still makes me want to cry. Yeah. Um, he basically missed, you know, seeing his whole daughter, his daughter's, her, he missed his whole daughter's life because he was oh. in prison. And then she becomes a when she's in graduate school, she does a project <laughs> on prisoners so she can go in and see oh. her dad. <laughs> okay, well, now I have to tell you because, like, me getting into One Piece, I was like, oh, funny anime, great. Um, No. Probably every viewing session, they put, they put in something that, like, literally is so gut-wrenching. One moment that I have to be careful not to think about too much because it will make me cry is there's this woman whose whole like island that she's from was destroyed by the government because they were trying to uncover the truth of like the history that the government's covered up. So her whole life, she's the only survivor. She's been called the devil, like the the devils of O'Hara because they're trying to paint her as this evil person. So she's had like, she's been wanted ever since she's a child. She's never been felt accepted anywhere. Um, And right before she left the Island, her friend, this giant told her you have to live because 
you will find friends who love you, I promise, but you you will ne- you won't if you die, so you have to live. So then and now in the present day, you know, she's befriended our main characters, but the government finally has her back and she just is trying to protect them. So she's like, stop trying to save me. I just want to die. And, um, but you know, they t- like, you know, our main characters, like, you know, why? Like, let, let me save you. And, you know, like, let's like have an adventure together. And, and he finally gets through to her and he says to her, he's like, but I just want to hear you say it now. Like, tell me you want to live. And there's this great moment where she's just crying and she just screams, I want to live, you know, and then they help her. And it's just so sad. It's so sweet. and so sad. God damn it. (laughs) So anyway, what phobia is that? But who would, who would think that, you know, a zombie movie yeah, be like this emotional and have this much humanity. Um, you know, just leave it to the Koreans. Okay, um, this is a masterpiece in my opinion. I agree. I think when I've after seeing so many zombie movies, where again the point seems to be even driven home by the movie itself. Don't help others; you'll be betrayed. Don't help others; it'll turn out bad for you. There's this movie which says help others because Absolutely. it's the right thing to do. So, what phobia is that? (laughs) Siderodromophobia is the fear of trains. Yeah, I think it's cider. Oh. It's cider. Siderodromophobia. 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 Say that three times. (laughs) (laughs) So, the actor... Here's some trivia. The actor... Ma Dong-suk, who's the husband with the pregnant wife, the hero of the movie, used to be Gong-yu, the father's personal trainer. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I would believe it. He's built like a, built like a truck. He's like a unit. So Train to Busan is the sixth highest grossing domestic film of all time in South Korea. That's incredible. I don't like... God, man, y'all, if you have not dipped into Korean cinema, please do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. It's so, it's art. It's so good. You just, like, so uniquely incredible. There's no movies like them, in my opinion, in the U.S. I mean, of course, because they're Korean, but I just think anybody can get something out of them. Also, I haven't seen the film that Gong Yu and I don't know her name, the woman who played uh, Sung Kyung, mm. they were in a film together that was very effective in terms of changing the laws in South Korea around um, the abuse of children. Oh, wow. Um, the abuse of disabled children, I think. Deaf oh, children. gosh. So it's a movie called Silenced. And I haven't seen it yet. I haven't brought myself to see it yet. But those, seems intense. Yeah, but those two um, were in the movie, were in that movie together. Mm. I bet it's great because they were both great. Yeah. So Ma Dong Suk was nominated for a 2017 Asian Film Award in the Best Supporting Actor category for this role, which he deserved because he was the I, hero. I feel like he kind of blew up after this movie. Like mm-hmm. he ha- he's had a pretty, you know, lengthy career. But I feel like this was a really big movie for him. Because he he just shines. Any scene he's in, he's a stealer. Scene stealer. 
Gong Yu was nominated for a 2017 Asian Film Award in the Best Actor category for his role in this film as well. And by the way, if people have seen Squid Game, Gong Yu is also in Squid Game in a very brief role. Um, He's playing the game in the train station. Yes! Yes, I remember that. Yeah, because I was like, him! (laughs) This is not the first Zombies on a Train film. Horror Express from 1972 tackled a similar subject 44 years earlier, albeit less frenetically. So what's this new friend, segment? I think our um I think our friend Peter Cushing's in that movie. <gasps> our friend. I need to see more Cushing films. I'm not sure if he is. Well, yes, I wanted to introduce this new segment. So I had planned to do my Don't Look Now show with Quinn right before this one. Oh. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to listen to the to the shows in order anyway. But the the film is called Don't Look Now in English, but the foreign language titles for that movie are like insane. So I thought it might be kind of fun to um have a new segment sometimes called <laughs> Como si dice Don't Look Now in Italiano. And this is where we look at the title of our movie in other languages. Ooh, I like that. So, of course, I don't speak any other languages, so my pronunciation's going to be insanely bad. Wait, I got France. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so it's Dunier Train pour pour Busan. Do you mean Dernier Train pour Busan? Yes, I do. (laughs) I, I believe it's the last train to Busan. Uh, and then for Brazil, it's in Invasão Zumbi. Zumbi. Which, uh, invasion. Zombie invasion. Uh, mm. For Chile, Estação Zombie. Zombie, zombie Station. station. <laughs> and in Poland, Zombie Express. <laughs> <laughs> Train to Busan is a great name. Why didn't they just do that? Well, because not everybody knows that Busan, I guess, is a city in South Korea. My whole life, I thought it was spelled Pusan. It was. It was? Yeah, yeah. because I, cause I remember asking, well, this is where I was born. And so in my head, I was always like, Pusan, Pusan. And then when I saw this, I was like, is it Busan? Yeah, so if it were Pusan, it would have to be, it's like, a, it's like an aspirated sound or something. I don't know. I don't know linguistics anymore. I, I just take linguist, I've taken linguistic classes, but all of that knowledge is like... <laughs> Eroding just like everything else. But basically, uh, there's a character, and then when it's doubled, it's that sound. But oh. if it's not doubled, it's the softer but. So, oh. But just like the name Kim is like not Kim, because mm. that would be a double letter. Mm. Nobody's name is spelled with two of those letters. Mm-hmm. Um but we're dumb Americans. We don't know. So it's sort of an in-between sound between the K and the G. It's like Kim. Mm. Okay. So it's not really Kim. It's more like Kim. Kim. So it's, but it's hard for Americans because, you know, we've got, we've got really, anyways, it's hard I feel, for Americans. Yeah. I, I've been, I think about this a lot because, um, well, been an anime fan forever. I'm definitely not fluent in Japanese, obviously, but I, I'm at the point now where if I'm not looking, and a lot of anime, is, uh, some of the dialogue can be repeated a lot, but like sometimes I can listen to it and kind of know, 
basically what they're saying. But I feel like that was just a little little casual flex. But what I meant to bring up was I think that it Japanese more better translates, at least the pronunciation, to English because it's all like syllables. It's like, yes. you know, it's just one syllable after the other, whereas I feel like Korean just sounds completely different to me. And I like – similar, I guess, to Mandarin too, where it seems like a lot of tonal differences, whereas like, again, Japanese, it's like – I don't know. It, it, even even the letters are like, you know, these are the sounds and it's just a short sound put together yeah. to make – it feels so much similar to English in a way. Yeah, and I feel like Spanish. If you if you want to learn, if you're an American or you can, you're an English speaker and you want to learn a language, I would go with Spanish because it's exactly the way it looks, you know. And there aren't any like weird tricks like they are in English. Um, Italian's also pretty easy if you're a native English speaker. Portuguese is a little more difficult. So those are the three that I'm focusing on right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, with Korean, it's really not that hard. There are 24 characters in the alphabet. We have 26. Plus, as you know, like, basically our vowels can make every sound. Yeah. Um, you know, so there aren't that many combinations. It's just that when it gets Romanized, it's really difficult. Like I was telling you the other day. Um, so that EO is like, uh, but you can't write just a U because people might think it's ooh mm, or mm-hmm. U. So, you know, they have to make these distinctions. I just think whoever did that, like, kind of messed everything up. Plus, there's no W in Korean. So, mm. like, the brand name Daewoo mm-hmm. is, like, Daewoo. There's no W. And yeah. also, the last name Lee, L-E-E, is actually E. There's no mm. ooh. So it's just like, fuck. Yeah. Plus, of course, park, we know is more like buck. So it's just. <sighs> yeah, they, they, yeah, who, whoever set the standards for like romanization of Korean. Not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's not helpful. <laughs> not helpful. But, and, and then like, I think there's like, like EUI. I think it is like UE or mm. UE. I don't know. That's difficult. So I think if I were going to learn Korean, I would just forget all the romanization and just like learn the characters and the mm. sounds of the characters and like don't fuck with the romanization. Yeah. Whatsoever. Might be easier. Hey, Mac, I wonder what Letterboxd has to say about this movie. Oh, okay. So uh, Bruno Simplicio gave it a half star. And said, why do Koreans have to love corny endings so much, lol? Fuck you! Fuck you, Bruno! Fuck you, Bruno! <laughs> Some of us have a heart. Um, Plot Hole Lover gave it a half star and said, dad movie? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I feel like this put this movie put dads on blast. <laughs> like, At least one of them. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to this dad, so I mean... Again, I think they're putting dads on. Like, this is a pretty mom favored movie, you know. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fleetingly gave it a half star and said more than half of the movie was filmed from Gong Yu's bad side, which distracted me <laughs> both from the plot and the fact that I used to find him hot. You used what to find the him hot? 
<laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? What's wrong with you? What are you saying? What is coming out of your mouth? <laughs> also, that's so mean. Even if he was ugly, which he's not, like, that would be... (laughs) Can you imagine if someone said, it really distracted me watching this movie because it got your bad side, and it's so weird because I used to find you hot? Like, oh my god! (laughs) Gong, you please, if you read that, don't. Don't. I'm sure he's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Aaron Kerner gave it a half star. Korean diehard it's Korean Die Hard on a train, but the terrorists are zombies. And with really bad acting and writing. Sorry? Ex- sorry, excuse me? What did you say? Excuse me? What I just want to talk real quick. <laughs> just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's a good one. I wasted two hours of my life with this mindless hodgepodge of cliches and crap. Fuck, Fuck you, Aaron. you, Aaron Kerner. <laughs> you are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk to some people with taste. Yes. Bambi gave it five stars and said, I understand the zombies. I would run and chase after going too if I had the chance. <laughs> Danielle gave it five stars and said, I am so down with that old lady. Like, y'all just sacrificed my sister. So now I'm going to take all of you down with me. The fuck you think this is? Me t- Again, I was kind well, of like Slay Queen. I, I kind of feel like that way too. Like, I don't like it the way Barbara just sort of like dissociates i mean i guess it's valid but she's in a fugue state for most of that movie and but the sister sort of has this moment where she's just like fuck like i just lost my sister and then she looks back at these people fighting over some bullshit and she's just like fuck this yeah for what she died so these assholes could you know be in charge of my destiny no yeah She's so re- like she is real for it. Like it is like yeah. I would be so fucking mad too. I would be disgusted. Justine gave it five stars and said, "Imagine watching this with an entire theater of film students audibly sobbing, wailing through the entire last act." I kind of wish I was there. <laughs> um, obviously, we don't like Harry Potter in this house. Fuck you, J.K. Rowling. But I will say, I saw. One of the, maybe it was like, it was one of the last movies with my class at the time. Like, it was a bunch of people from my Montessori school, and we were just losing it in the theater. Just like, "Ah!" yeah, (laughs) those moments are great. Moi gave it five stars and said, I just love when a horror film makes me cry. Me too. Me too, babe. Rain Quinn gave it five stars and said, it's a zombie movie, but also not a zombie movie. Oh, that's so deep. So deep. You're so smart, Rain. <laughs> Rain spelled R-A-N-E. Why'd your parents not name you R-A-I-N? Well, I guess maybe if it's not, it's supposed to be that. So, how would we rate this movie? I'd give it five trains to Busan. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it five trains to Busan as well. <laughs> Would you watch it again? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Favorite scene slash kill? Uh, I gotta think about this. Do you have one? Mm. I guess I do like it when everything really starts going to hell at the next station that they stop at. Um, when they think the military is going to help them, I really feel like that movie is uh, that part is such a turning point. Like. 
obviously we've already had the zombies, but that is really when it's like, I don't know, the, it's, before it was kind of like, well, this is scary because we're, it's contained in this cart. But now it's like, no dog, you're not safe anywhere. Doesn't matter if they're in a small room with you or in outs or you're outside, they will get you. I think that's also a great scene too, because that is a turning point where we see the homeless man, you know, is really part of the crew. Yeah. He's helping to save some of the main players, but also we see that even though, um, Gong Yu like slammed the door on Ma Dong Sok, he doesn't, he doesn't do the same thing. You know, he saves, he saves the little girl and he saves the dad. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Actually, you know, he's not holding a grudge though. He's just like, he's such the bigger man <laughs> in more ways than. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, he has, he has a much, a much bigger heart and a, and a much, he has a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, than, a, than the main guy. Yeah. I, I like seeing that. Final thoughts about. Well, did, well so well, that was your favorite scene? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Nice. It's good stuff, though. I mean, I think it all fits together really well, even though it's long. Yeah, I don't think it's overly long. And then I think the way information is spilled out, um, you know, we get more and more of the picture as we go along. Yeah. I also do want to shout out that one scene where um, the baseball player, you know, they go into that second car and it's just baseball players. And he just like is holding his bat and he, he hesitates. I think that's so real. Yeah. Any final words on zombies, Nia? Hmm. I guess I'll just say, I think this is such a, uh, I'll say, sorry to Romero for losing so much money. However, this is one of my favorite genres of horror movies ever. And I think there's so much more horror more horrifying thoughts and ideas and plot lines that aren't even explored in these two movies that you could still explore, you know? And that is like, to me, it's just a endless well of scariness. It truly, I don't know why, but it just truly gets me something good. And so I'm so glad that it was public domain that we could have all that we have today. I think we're better for it. Well said. Thank you for joining us for this episode and for all your support. It means the world of horror to us truly. Next time, it's Mom's Pick of Genre, and I have chosen Cults. We will be looking at Kill List from the UK and The Stepford Wives from the US. We would welcome your support in the form of a five-star review or thumbs up on your preferred listening platform. Hey, Mac, what do you have going on? Well, folks, I got to announce I've had a little bit of a brand change. I would like to promote my art Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. It is now the title of Macaritaville. That is M-A-C-A-R-I-T-A-V-I-L-L-E. You can look at my art, which is kind of what more I'm focusing on now. So would love to get some love. You gotta check it out. What's the latest, um, what's that latest piece that you put up just the other day? 
Yeah, I, I've been working on that one for so long. My iPad said it was 60 hours, which is crazy. But yeah, I worked on this painting of these two girls and a cat. And uh, it's truly maybe my favorite thing I've ever done in my life. So check That's, it out. Yeah, check it out, Wohos. It's it's really quite lovely. And remember, Wohos, we love you. And don't go into the basement. <laughs>